You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. So last week, uh, we covered the second portion of this chapter, talking about the resurrection. And of course, to set the context, there were people at the church at Corinth that wanted to say, well, we believe in Jesus uh, and we believe that he rose from the dead, but we don't believe that we raise from the dead, that when we just die on this earth, it's over. That's all there is. And Paul, we talked about this last week, so I'll rehash it, comes in and so many times Paul is saying, look, give latitude, let's, let's be together. But Paul comes right out of the gate. He says, look, if you don't believe in the resurrection, we're not on the same team. This is an absolute. This is not up for debate or discussion. And he goes through all those defenses and we talked about all that. So now he's talking about the resurrection and he's addressing some of these things. So let's just ask the Lord to help our minds and our hearts tonight. Can we do that right now? Can you lift your voice? Dear Lord, I thank you tonight that we can be into your house in your presence with your word. I pray God over the next few moments that you would open up our hearts and minds, that your word would be quickened to our heart and to our spirit. And we ask this tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we're going to begin here at verse number 35. So let's, let's read here through this. But some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? So here Paul is restating, if you will, or, or retelling a a charge, a challenging question that has been, been uh, circulating in the church. And that is they denied the resurrection. And so then they are uh, rather with a tone maybe of disrespect saying, how, how are the dead raised? <clears throat> how is this possible? Uh, you're you're going to die. You're going to decay. How are the dead going to raise up? Read on. Don't fool. That which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. All right, so now he is going to give us two analogies about the resurrection. Read. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bear grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain. Okay, so let me, let me just pause here and say we're, we're reading in the KJV, in the King James Version, an old English proper English kind of thing. We don't, we don't talk this way, the way this is articulating this. But let's read through here because I want us to understand this. Go on and read the next verse. God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him. Yes. And to every seed his own body. Okay, so the first analogy he gives of the resurrection, they're asking, how can this be? How can the resurrection happen? You die, your body, you're saying, so Paul, you're saying that your body can be changed from uh, uh the, the mortal to the immortal, that which decays to that which never decays. But once the body is dead and buried and it's already decayed and it's returned back to, to dust, how can that, how can that uh, uh, happen? How can the resurrection happen? And so Paul is going to use two analogies. The first analogy he uses is that of the seed. And, and we, what we know about a seed, now, now I'm not an expert on this, but what we understand about seeds is that a seed is a substance in and of itself, and it does nothing until 
the seed is put into the ground and that seed dies or that seed decays. And once that seed decays, all of a sudden in that dying, there is something new that happens. And as it is uh, 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 nurtured, it springs up into something incredible. So this seed, you keep that seed back for 100 years and it's nothing. It does absolutely nothing. But you take that seed in a moment, that seed is put into the process of, of um, decaying. The moment it dies and it begins to break down, the moment there's something new that arises out of that. So Paul says, if God in the natural can take something and, and, and use this uh, death to life process, then how much more can God, who's able to do all things, how much more can he do that with your body? If you could plant a seed and you see once that seed decays, something new that you never saw, it's, it's potential that you never realize something totally new comes out of that. How is that possible? He said, well, the same is true in your body. The next analogy he's go, we're, we're going to read on here and uh, go on. Verse 39. All flesh is not the same flesh. Yes. But there is one kind of flesh of men. Yes. Another flesh of beasts, mm -hmm. another of fishes, and another of birds. Okay, so first thing Paul's saying is, okay, God created beings flesh, let's talk, let's use that. He created beings or flesh, uh, physical things, substance. And in his creation, he highlights that there's a lot of different varieties. There's a lot of different varieties. There's the, the flesh of man, the flesh of beasts, the flesh of fishes and other birds. Okay, go on. There are also celestial bodies. Yes. And bodies terrestrial. All right. Now this is interesting because he says now there are bodies that are celestial. There's bodies that are terrestrial. Okay. But the glory of the celestial is one. Yes. And the glory of the terrestrial is another. Okay, so there are different beings, and those beings are divinely created uh, for their environment. So that which is celestial is designed, is created for that. That which is terrestrial, it's designed, is created for that. So there's many varieties in creation. We know, we know that there's human uh, beings. We call, we call ourselves that, human beings. God created in half year. We also know, and they knew, and they acknowledged that there were also heavenly beings, uh, angelic beings. How many times do we see in Bible, uh, in the Scripture, that uh, the Scripture testifies of heavenly beings, angelic beings, beings that we we really we haven't got all figured out, right? But it's in there. And, and, and uh, sometimes uh, the Bible tells us that we, we entertain angels unaware. Other times you see an angel, you know very much what it is. And by the way, everywhere in, most everywhere in Scripture that anybody saw an angel, the first thing the angel of the Lord or the angel had to say to them was, don't be afraid. It was such an other experience, something that was not a natural experience, that there was a... a uh, uh, an awe, a reverence, or for lack of a better word, it, it was straight fear. Fear. What's going on here? Okay, this isn't normal. This is out of the ordinary. So when the angels appear in the narrative of the Christmas story, four angels, it's the highest concentration of angelic visitation at any point in Scripture revolves around the Christmas narrative. Four different times, angels show up. And when they all appear the first thing every single one of them has to say is, fear not, don't be afraid. It's a terrifying thing. Because when an angel comes down and makes itself 
revealed to us, and this doesn't happen all the time. It doesn't happen on every page of Scripture. In fact, if you count up the pages of Scriptures and how many appearances there are, there's not that many in the bulk of everything that's covered. When it happens, it's not a natural thing. It's not something's ex expected because they were not intended for our environment. We were not intended for their environment. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying God created people in, in, in their environments for their purposes. God can do that. Okay, read on. There is one glory of the sun. Yes. And another glory of the moon. And the glory, the word glory here could be termed radiance. There's a, a radiance here, okay? And another glory of the stars. Yes. For one star differeth from another star glory. Okay, so there's a, so what Paul is establishing here is he's saying there's different kinds of beings, there's different kinds of varieties in those, in those spheres, in those creations. God uh, uh, put different radiances, different glories, different uh, uh, beings for different environments. He's establishing all of this. So if God, just like he could with the seed, bring life out of death in one environment, why can't he take us from one environment to another environment? And if God created, if God created us as beings for the earthly, if God wants to bring us along from the temporal to the eternal, that's a different environment. There's going to have to be a change. And if God wants to do it, God can do it. He can, just, he can determine to do it. Say, okay, now the body you have now, but that, that, that was only meant for the temporal. But the body I'm going to give you is meant for the eternal. This is what Paul is saying. Well, the, the resurrection is not beyond simple logic and reasoning when you just look at creation and how God operates. It makes sense. This is not something that you should resist. This isn't something you should scoff at. This isn't something that you should denounce. And in fact, as he's already said, and he's going to say later on, this is everything, everything, your hope, hinges on this. Read on. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. So take the first phrase of 42, because the first phrase or the first uh, sentence in, in verse 42 is establishing what he had just gone through. So also is a resurrection of the dead. Just like God created different beings for different environments, so also is the resurrection of the dead. In this earth, you were earthly, but God's going to raise you up uh, from corruptible to incorruption. He's going to bring you with him to live with him forever. That's a different environment, different atmosphere. God's going to have to change things just like he does with the seed. He's going to do with us. So also is the resurrection of the dead. Just like God sets in, in, in the heavensly, different radiances and different glories. There is a glory of, of your human body on this earth there will be a different glory of your body, of your resurrected body, amen, in the heaven. We'll get to that in a moment because that, that's, that's very exciting. So now he's going to go in the second part of verse 42, 43, and 44, and he is going to give us four contrast to show us how our new body, the resurrected body, is different from the temporal body. Paul's going to give this to us. So he first says, it is sown in corruption, but it is raised in incorruption. So he's giving us this parallels. I want you to read uh, 43 and 44. It is sown in dishonor. Uh -huh. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. Weakness. It is, it is raised in power. Yes. It is sown in 
It is sown a natural body. Yes. Okay, so let's stop right there. So four things. Sown in corruption, raised in corruption. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, it is raised in power. Sown a natural body, and it is raised a spiritual body. So what is he saying here? What is he giving? Well, I'll tell you. He's saying it's sown in corruption. Corruption, that which perishes. It uh, perishes. Uh, it is perishable. It's sown. When he says sown, he's talking about when we die and we're, we're buried, uh, uh, we, we're laid to rest, and then we will raise again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, so just as when we're buried, it's like that seed being sown and our, the seed is sown. And yes, we think, oh, it's decaying and breaking down. But what we don't realize is that there is a spiritual environment that is waiting, laying in wait. And, and there is a nurturing that's going to take place. And though it's sown in corruption or perishable, it's going to be raised incorruptible or a body that does not perish. That means no more sickness, and no more death. Right? Have you heard that before? Amen? It's all throughout the prophets. It's all, it's talking about, there's no more dying. Amen? You get to the book of Revelation, and it talks about it. There's no dying. Your body does not decay. Your body does not fail. Your body does not ache. Yes. Your body is not susceptible susceptible to sickness. All of us have been sick in the last week. Say amen. All of us that's dealt with ever serious sickness and things that come in and, and rob and destroy. We have, we have great people here in our church right now that, that are not able to be here in attendance because of what is happening to their body beyond their control. And by the way, let me just say this as pastor, don't you ever apologize when you cannot make it to the house of God, physically make it to the house of God. Don't be condemned for that. There ought to be a longing in a heart that wants to go to the house of God. But we can't condemn somebody that can't get to the house of God because physically they are bound to the body that's decaying. Amen. But I would tell you, that's what's going to make heaven more beautiful and glory more great. Because all those things that that you don't know you're going to wake up with tomorrow that you don't even know about. Amen. That's not going to happen. That's something worth looking forward to. The second thing he says is what? Sown in dishonor. Sown in dishonor. Okay. It's sown in dishonor. What is the dishonor? Well, the dishonor is that there is shame because of sin. My body is under the curse of sin. And that's the curse of sin is death. And so it's sown amen, in dishonor, amen, but in a heavenly body, in a resurrected body, there is no shame. <laughs> there is no shame. Amen. What's the number one thing that the Bible attaches to us via sin is shame. When Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says that they were ashamed. They went and hid themselves. There was a shame that came. There's a shame that comes. Amen? Come on, you, you're not even doing anything wrong, and you feel shame. Right? You're not even doing, it's just your body. Uh, put, put it in, I'll put it in easy terms, and I'll pick on myself. You start losing your hair, and you keep losing more hair. And you're trying to cover that head. I don't want anybody to see that. Well, you didn't do anything wrong. Right? Right? right. <laughs> 
nobody's going to help me preach on Wednesday. And they're all just looking at me like, I don't know what you're talking about, pastor. Uh-huh. Yeah, you went through Thanksgiving and you ate one too many pieces and now that weight's not coming off like it used to come off anymore and you're wondering, what did I do wrong? Come on. That's because you're, you're, you're human. Your body's not the same. Your body is changing. There's a shame with that. In, in fact, in our culture today, we, we do a disservice because we, we elevate uh, uh, beauty as something that is only, we esteem it only in the young. Uh-huh. And so we have 70-year-olds spending thousands of dollars trying to make themselves look like a 20-year-old. Right? Well, that comes from a shame. A shame. Well, what's happening? What's breaking down? What's happening? I don't know what's happening. And when you don't understand this, and when you don't have an open resurrection, you'll spend hundreds of thousands of dollars for all kinds of surgeries and things. Keep me young, keep me young. But when you have the hope of the resurrection, you can say, here, you can go all you want. It doesn't matter because I'm going to shed this body someday. I'm not living for this body. I'm living for it. Well, so there's no dishonor in a resurrected body. What's the next thing he said? Sown in what? Weakness. Sown in weakness, but you will be raised in power. Sown in weakness. What is that? The weakness is we, that we have. It, 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 it's not the physical weakness. It's the frailty and temptation. We are weak in our, in our, in our flesh and dealing with our, our flesh. Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am. <laughs> I try to do good and I do wrong. <laughs> I try not to say it and it slips out anyways. And I just, man, why did I say that? Come on, anybody else know what I'm talking about? You try, you get up this morning and you say, today is going to be a good day. I am going to behave. (laughs) Come on, this is rubber meets the road kind of stuff. And we're saying, God, look, 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 why did I do this? You know, there's a title of a song that just came to my mind that I know I am not going to say. (laughs) Because I have already made that mistake once too many times. This is, we're sown in weakness, but when we are raised up, come on, when, in the resurrection, there's not going to be any bad days. In the resurrection, come on, there's not going to be any mistakes. Whew, I think we ought to get excited. You just think about that. Now, now, thank God he's delivered me from sin. Thank God for all that stuff. But man, just being able to go throughout the day and not get to the end of the day and say, man, I really made a mess of things. Think of how awesome that's going to be. (laughs) That we are raised up in power. That we're going to be with him. What a blessing. Amen, that is. So, sown in weakness, but but we're raised in power. Go on. It is sown a natural body. Sown a natural body. What's the natural body? Well, the natural body is that which is subject to time and space. All right? We're we're limited by time and space. All right? But, But what is it? It is raised a spiritual body. Raised a spiritual body. Now, we can't even begin to comprehend this. He's going to testify to it in just a minute in verse number 52. But in the natural body, we have limits. We have, uh, uh, you're tired tonight. Some of you are tired tonight because you worked all day, but that's because you have a limitation. Some of you are hungry right now because you haven't eaten dinner. That's because you have a limitation. There's things that you need. Amen. That you can only do so much. There's only, there's only thing. But in, in the resurrection, amen, we're not going to be bound by that. We're not going to be bound, amen, 
uh, uh, we're, we're not, we're not going to be subject, amen, to the laws of, of rest and, and eating and all of these other things. No, God is giving us, he's giving us a spiritual body like him. We see in his body, amen, when he was resurrected, that he appeared and disappeared. We see him uh, uh, walk through a wall, amen, where there is no door. The door shut and the Lord just walks in there. Amen. There was no restriction. Think about that. There was no restriction to where the Lord Jesus Christ went in his resurrected, amen, body. He was able to move about. And yet, amen, amen, he wasn't bound by time, matter, and space, but yet he was still able to sit down with them and eat with them and enjoy food. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Amen. I won't need it, but I can still enjoy it. I won't have to have it, but I can still get it. We don't even begin to comprehend. We don't even begin to comprehend what is waiting for us over on the other side. You're sown a natural body, but you're raised a spiritual body. Think about this now. I'll, I'll go ahead and jump there. In verse 52, he says, in a moment, in the twinkling of what? And I, at the last trope, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we all shall be changed. And we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. I, I love the fact that he used that phrase, the twinkling of an eye. We're sown the natural man, but we're raised the spiritual man. What Paul says is he says, you know, it took you how many years to grow up, to get to this state, to be able to do whatever. How long was the, uh, 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 the process of birth before you were a living being? How long did that take in the natural state? And yet your transformation to the spiritual state, your transformation to a heavenly state is going to happen, he says, in the twinkling of an eye. Why is that significant? Because the fastest movement that the human body can make is the blink of an eye. That is the fastest movement that your body can make. So what Paul says is the incredible miracle of transformation that happens in the heavenly is going to be completed in the fastest movement of your natural body. If your entire transformation can take place in the fastest movement of the natural body, what kind of body are you going to have once you have that body? There is no way that we can even comprehend what is waiting for us, amen, in glory. This is why Paul gets real excited because he's trying to let them know, amen, God is doing great things for you. This, this, this not only makes sense, this is our hope. This is everything. All right, let's read on before I get too carried away. There is a natural body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Don't make the mistake of blending them both. Don't you think, he's letting them know, don't you think just because the natural body is dead that it's all over? No, 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 no. Don't think just because they died and we buried them that there is no hope that you're never going to see them again. Maybe in this life, in this life, it's done. In this life, we can't walk anymore with him. In this life, we can't talk to them anymore. But there is a spiritual body to come. 
and you can't even begin to comprehend. We can't even begin to scratch the surface, surface of what that is going to be like. All right, read on. And so it is written. Yes. The first man Adam was made a living soul. Yes. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. All right, so now he returns to this, uh, this distinction of two uh, uh, federal heads, and that's 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 two the headship of two different states of being. That that where he talked about the first man Adam and the second man Adam being Christ. Adam is uh, uh, the prototype of us in the flesh. Christ being the prototype of us, Amen, in a resurrected body. Okay, and so we're with Christ. Well, here's the distinction. Here's the power. Here's the determination. Adam, the first man from which we all come, from which we all descend, we are a part of that first human being that the Bible establishes. Adam was made a living soul, all right? So Adam was the first. He is simply made from dust, and Adam is simply living, okay? God breathed in him the breath of life. Adam is living, but Christ, Christ, amen, the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. What does that mean? Adam was made to live, but Christ, amen, is life-giving. Christ does something powerful. Christ is life-giving. Adam was merely a living being, but Christ was made life-giving. He's the second man. He's that second Adam that comes. And it is through Christ, Christ, amen, is not just another different being. No, he is the one that gives life to us. He's the one that transforms us. He's the one that sets us free. So Adam, made from dust, but the second Adam, through the resurrection, received a supernatural body, amen. And so Christ was life-giving because he will raise those of us who belong to him. So as in Adam, we all die. In Christ, we all live again. Amen. So when we're, when we're just here of the earth, earthly, we're, we're subject, we, in, we inherit the traits of Adam. What is that? Well, that's death. But when we are in Christ, when we are born again in Christ, and Paul talks about this in Romans, when we're buried with him in baptism, amen, we arise to walk in the newness of life, that like as uh, uh, if we are planted together with him, amen, we shall also be uh, resurrected together with him, amen. So when we're in Christ, Christ makes us alive. He, he is a quickening spirit. So read on. Read verse 46 here. Howbeit that was not first, which is spiritual. Yes. But that which is natural. Right. And afterward, that which is spiritual. Right. The natural came first and then the spiritual, not the spiritual first and then the natural. So when you die, that's not the end of everything. Those that are in Christ, when you die on this earth, that's not the end. No, that's the beginning. That's the natural. And afterward is the spiritual. Adam came first. And then Christ comes after that. All right, read verse 47. The first man is of the earth. Yes. Earthy. Yes. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Oh, this is so good. The first man is of the earth, earthy. He's of the earth, literally from the dust of the earth. God created him. He made us. We are, we are made from the substance of the earth. God created him. Amen. But that which is earth is earthly, that which is heavenly is heaven, that which is heavenly is, is, is heavenly. Amen. Your earthly body, amen, is not prepared to live in a heavenly environment. So just as God created Adam from the dust of the earth, God has to create a new spiritual body. This is what he's doing. This is what he's bringing out of you. He's saying this here. 
So what do you bring? Adam's body was the prototype for the natural. We're all subject to that. Christ's body is the prototype of the spiritual. All right, read verse 48. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. Yes. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. Okay, so let me, let me finish this verse and then let me go back to a, a, a phrase, the significance of the phrase in 47. Because he's saying here that we... In the earth, we are going to bear the image of the earthly, amen, right? Okay? And as in the heavenly, such are they that are heavenly. We, in the heavens, we will bear the image of the heavenly. So in the earth, we bear the image of Adam. We, we are made in that nature. But in Christ, and in the heavens, we, we will bear the nature of Christ. We are made in that nature. We will bear his image, amen. Bible says, in the image of God created he them. And so... Uh, we represent, amen, our, uh, and, and theologians like to use this term, the, the headship of what we are under. So if we're in the natural, we represent Adam, If we, the image of Adam. We bear the nature and the being. That doesn't mean that we, we just look like him, but then when we are in the resurrected body, we're going to bear that image. So we see Christ. We've seen Christ as the resurrected one. We have witness of what he was like. And so we will bear that image as well. That's how we can be excited about this. That's how we can look at those things and say, well, sown in weakness, but we're raised in power. Sown in corruption, but we're raised in incorruption. Sown in uh, the natural, but we're going to be raised in the spiritual because we've seen these two things. Now, go back with you, Will, to verse 47. And this is a phrase that is so good uh, for us because we are, we, we are what we would call ourselves oneness Pentecostals, okay? So we do not espouse to the traditional interpretation of the, the, the doctrine of the Trinity, which says that there are three co-equal, co-eternal uh, persons of the Godhead, uh, traditional, ancient, uh, uh, more, uh, not, not as much, but older interpretation a lot of times would say when they got to heaven, they saw three, three different ones in the throne. But no, we believe that there is one God and that one God manifests himself in different ways. Amen. So he is God. He is our father in creation. Amen. Son, son in redemption. The spirit and regeneration, the spirit, the, the, uh, he's the father, the father of all. Amen. He's the son of God, the offspring, the unknowable God became knowable. So he's the son of God. I talked about that in our last uh, um, session on this. If you want to go, I, I use the illustration of the undercover boss sort of thing, which isn't a perfect illustration. We talked about that. And then in the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, that is the relative presence of God. God is a spirit. Amen. There's no limitation on him. But when we open up our heart and we receive him, his spirit comes down to live and reign in our life. It's his spirit that makes us new again. And so is, 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 uh, so, so we use the term the relative presence of God because God is no less God if I don't accept him. But when he comes into my heart, there's something that happens. All of a sudden it's activated. He's the Lord of my life. Yeah. Amen. But that is that same God that is unknowable. Amen. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the father. And he also said, no man seeth God at any time. God is a spirit. You can't see God. You, you're, what's he saying? He's saying, you're too earthy. Finite can't see infinite. Finite can't comprehend infinite. So God was unknowable. But that unknowable God made himself knowable. Amen. In the person of Jesus Christ, and Hebrews does use that term, the book of Hebrews, the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. So here he says, look at what he says here. The first man 
is of the earth earthy. The second man, he doesn't say the second man is of heaven heavenly. He said the second man is the Lord from heaven. Yeah. Yeah. He really is the undercover boss. He really is the one. He really is the one. Amen. That's why he was crucified. You know why he was crucified? Because he looked at the Jews and he said, before Abraham was, I am. And they said, blasphemy. He is equating himself. He is saying that he is the I am that I am. That's exactly right. That's exactly what he was saying. And they said, we've got to kill him. They brought him before the high priest, and the high priest stood up and said, you have claimed to be God. Is it true? You have claimed to be God. He wouldn't answer them a word. So the high priest invoked a Levitical law, and whenever they invoked that law, they had to answer truth. This is what they believed. They had to answer truthfully. It was rarely ever done. The high priest alone was the one that could do it. When he invoked that Levitical law over somebody, it mandated that they told the truth, and if they did not tell the truth, what they believed was that God would strike the person dead in that moment. And the high priest said, I adjure you by the living God. And when he invoked that Levitical law, Jesus answered and said, I am he. That room fell silent. Because what they were waiting on was they were waiting. God's going to strike him dead. And God didn't strike him dead. He just claimed to be God and God didn't strike him dead. And the high priest lost his mind. This is what it said. And the Bible says the high priest in front of everybody, he took his garments and he rent his garments, which there was a law that prohibited the high priest from ever rending his garments. And in the moment that the high priest rent his garments, amen, it passed, the office passed from that so-called high priest to Jesus Christ, who just claimed to be the Lord from heaven. But not only am I the Lord from heaven, I will be your high priest. But not only that, I will be your atoning sacrifice. But not only that, amen, come on, I will be your intercessor. I will be the mediator, amen, come on. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we ought to praise God for that. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Jesus Christ is God, the Father, manifested in the flesh, come down to work his story of redemption among us. So uh, now, uh, so not all, not all Trinitarians would, would swallow that, probably would, would, would agree with that. S- some would. Some would be open to what I just explained and would say that. Historically, there's been times in church history where uh, a oneness interpretation of Scripture was approved by by uh, a more oneness Trinitarian interpretation of Scripture was approved by uh, a oneness interpretation of Scripture approved by Trinitarian Council or so-called kind of thing. But that gets real complicated. So anyways, but we're not here to argue with anybody. We're just here to say, what does the Word say? What does the Word say? It doesn't matter. What, what you call yourself? What, what does the Word say? We got to believe on the Word. It doesn't matter, you know, what's the Word say? I'm thankful that I know who Jesus is. What a powerful, what a beautiful thing. I got to hasten on. All right, read. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, yes, we shall also bear the image of the heavens. All right, we should have read that earlier. I was already trying to describe that, so. All right, go on, read on. Now this I say, brethren, that this is critical. Flesh, yes. That flesh 
right? All right, so now what is he talking about? Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. The kingdom of God is eternal. You're temporal. The temporal cannot inherit the eternal. It's not possible. All right, you're not created for that environment. You, you, it can't be sustained. It's not possible. Think about this. In the moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we're going to be caught up together with him, right? And when we're caught up together, well, that means that we are going to have a body that can travel at the speed of thought. Because wherever God is in that moment, it's going to take us from a moment, we're going to translate from here to there with him. Okay? So we'll translate. Your natural body, if it moves that fast, your brain's going to be scrambled. Am I telling the truth? Right? I mean, astronauts, look at what they have to do just to go out into space. How they have to shoot up and all that stuff. And God's going to say, oh, I'm going to dispense with all that. Boom. Just like that. Boom. You're changed. Boom. You can travel like that. Travel speed. Thought you're gone. Amen. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. If you don't change, if there is not a change to you, you're not going to ever be able to see this. Read on. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Right, exactly. Yeah, you can't, you can't bring something that's decaying into a place. Yeah, it doesn't work. Okay, go on. Behold, I show you a mystery. Yes, and that word mystery does not mean something that we don't know. That word mystery translated means something that previously was hidden but is now revealed. Amen. Behold, I show you a mystery. I'm showing you this mystery. Yes, we didn't have this all figured out before. We didn't know this all before. But now through Jesus Christ, it has been revealed unto us. Read on. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all sleep. That word sleep is what the early church used for the term of death. When they died in Christ, they did not say they were dead. They would say they were asleep. Jesus started that when he said, He's asleep. And they said, no, Lord, he's dead. He said, I, I know. <laughs> Slow learner. He's asleep. No, Lord, he's dead. I know. I know she's sleeping. Oh, watch this. Daughter, arise. And she came up. Lazarus, come forth. And he walked out. The Lord says, next time I call somebody asleep, don't you challenge me. So they said, okay, we're not going to call them dead anymore. We're calling them asleep. All right, read on. But we shall all be changed. Uh, we shall all be changed. Yes, we've been talking about it. All right. In a moment. In a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. The fastest your natural body can go <laughs> is going to have something, amen, that you can't even comprehend in a nanosecond. All right. Read on. At the last trump. At the last trump. Okay, so there's a conclusion here. All right. For the trumpet shall sound. Yes. And the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Praise God. And we shall all be changed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's hope. All right, read on. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. Right, why? Because flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. So it has to happen. It has to happen. This corruptible must put on corruption. incorruption. Yes, read. And this mortal must put on Yes, yes, read. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption. All right, wait for that moment. Come on, read. And this mortal shall have put on immortality. Yes. Sin shall it be brought to pass the yes. same that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. All right, all right. Once it's over, the moment you've resurrected, you're going to look back and say, uh, -huh, death don't have any hold on me anymore. What he's quoting here is he's quoting an Old Testament prophet. He's quoting the prophet Isaiah. And let's look here in Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 8. Isaiah 25 and 8, if they can get that on the screen, and then we'll go to Hosea 
13 and 14. But Isaiah 25 and 8, he is, he's speaking here. Oh, uh, uh, he says, after, when this is put on, he said, it's going to be sw- this, this thing that's been written is going to be brought to pass. Death is swallowed up in victory. Amen. Do we have that? Isaiah 25 and 8. Are we good back there? All right, we're good. Are we up there? We're getting there? All right. The resurrection is going to happen faster than this, just so you all know. <laughs> all right, there it is. There it is. All right. So Isaiah is writing here. And, and if you could go back and read, read this passage, it's really a beautiful passage. So we're just taking this one verse. He will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all their faces, and the rebuke of his people shall be taken away from all the earth, for the Lord hath spoken it. So there was an Old Testament prophecy that said someday... Death is going to be done away with. And in that moment, he's going to wipe all tears away from their face. So when you see, when you see this quoted, amen, in Revelation, this is what they're talking about. They're talking about the resurrection, when all tears are wiped away. And he says, when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality. Oh, by the way, I haven't told you yet, but there will be no more crying. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more hurting. Amen. And there will be no more sting. Amen. Death will be swallowed whole. There won't be one ounce left, amen, to taunt you. There won't be any rest. There won't be any concern. There won't be any fear. There won't be any caution. Come on, we walk around right now. We got to be careful. I can't do this, can't do that. That'll kill me. That'll hurt me. I got I to gotta watch how I drive. Got to watch somebody else how they drive because they can knock you out anytime you're coming, wherever, going, and I have to worry about that. But when you have a resurrected body, I don't have to worry about nothing because nothing can take me out. Nothing can kill me. Nothing can destroy me. Amen. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Come on, read. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Yes. Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Now, he takes Hosea chapter 13 and verse 14, and this is what the prophet Hosea says. He says, I will ransom, ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Oh, death, I will be your plagues. I will be thy plagues. Oh, grave, I will be thy destruction. And so this, this, this prophet Hosea prophesied by the mouth of the Lord that God was coming someday to torment death the way death has tormented up us. And so Paul is quoting from this, but he puts a little bit of his own taste on here, if you will, or flavor on here. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? It's like a bee buzzing around that doesn't have a sting. You can't terrify me. You can't torment me. This is what Paul's saying now. Paul is saying now in this natural life, not later. He's saying now in this natural life, when I look at death, death is like a bee without a stinger. De- I'm not afraid of you. Oh, yeah. Uh, come on. We got to have a revelation of this. Now, I know in our natural body, there's still a fear. There's still because we're, we're sown in a natural body. But Paul says, because of what I know, I can say, oh, death, where is thy sting? I see you. I see you. But it doesn't matter where you land. It doesn't matter what you touch. It doesn't matter because the sting has been taken out. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Read on. Read on. The sting of death is sin. Yes. And the strength of sin is the law. All right. So this, this second quote here, he's taunting it, you know, like, 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 like a bee without a sting. But the sting... 
was sin that had been exposed by the law. But now Christ, read on, what does he say? But thanks be to God. But thanks be to God, what? Which giveth us the victory through yes. Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God has brought victory. Why? Because he permanently defeated death. And at the resurrection, when we are resurrected, God will finally, completely, and permanently defeat death. And he's already told us that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. There will be no more, there's going to be no more fear. There's going to be no more worry because death will be done away. Death will be done, will, will be no more. Now he says, he says the sting of death is a sin. Sin is separation from God and death is the sealing of that separation from God. So Adam sinned and sin came in and sin separated man from God. And then the wages of sin is death. Death, when it happens, it seals. There's, there's separation from God. Amen. But Jesus Christ comes and he destroys both. He destroys sin and he destroys, amen, the grave. He destroys death. Hallelujah. So he says, thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I think we ought to put our hands together. Come on and thank the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And know this. Amen. Paul connects his teaching on the resurrection and the catching away. Amen. He connects it directly to the victory of Jesus Christ, the victory that Jesus Christ did. Amen. So you cannot say, you cannot say, well, I believe Jesus was, was alive. I believe he rose from the grave. I believe we ought to live after his commandments, but we don't have, we don't have any resurrection. No, 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 no. You missed the whole point. You missed the whole point. Because if there's no resurrection, then there's no victory. And if there's no victory, then Christ really didn't raise from the dead. And if Christ didn't raise from the dead, then we are of all men, he says, most miserable. Because we know our, our determined state. Amen. But we have victory in the Lord. So look at what he says. Read on the last verse, and this is great. Therefore, yes. beloved brethren, yes. be ye steadfast. Be ye steadfast. Unmovable. Yes. Hallelujah. All right. So right here, he lets us know what we believe about the future affects what we do and how we live now. So Paul, Paul tells us the re resurrection. He gives us this, this, this portrait into the re resurrection, victory through Christ, what we have to look forward to. And it's by that that he says, therefore, <laughs> my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be unmovable, always abound in the work of the Lord. I'm going to tell you, be steadfast. Can I encourage somebody tonight? It doesn't matter what you're facing. It doesn't matter the sickness. It doesn't matter the finances. It doesn't matter the relational stuff. It doesn't matter what you, you may have just lost your job. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Amen. I'm here to tell you, you can be steadfast. You can be unmovable. You can put your faith in Christ. Amen. It doesn't matter what happens. Amen. When death comes around and tries to torment you, you look back at it and say, you're like a bee without a stinger. And I'm not afraid of you because I have a hope in Jesus Christ. Come on, the next morning you get up and you've lost more hair or more teeth than you realize. Amen. You could say, you know what? I'm not worried about that because I've got a hope. 
I don't care what the world thinks about me. I don't care what's going on. The next time you're longing for a loved one, yes, we sorrow, amen, but we don't sorrow as, as others do, amen. We sorrow, but we have a rejoicing, amen, because there is a promise that someday all the saints of God, amen, are gonna rise and we which are alive, amen, we are going to be changed in that moment. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What I believe about the future determines how I live right now. And if I'm not living right right now, it's because I don't have a good portrait of what is in front of me. And that's where the word of God can illuminate your life. The word of God. Lift your eyes. Come on, lift your eyes off the troubles and the problems of this world. Lift your eyes toward heaven. Lift up your head. Amen. For your redemption draweth nigh. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There is a, there is a, a, a Lord that is coming back. Amen. For you and me, our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, someday. Hallelujah. And we thank God for that. And he goes on. Read on. What's he say in the last part here? For as much as you know. Yes. That your labor is not in vain. For as much as you know your labor. What? Is not in vain. Not in vain. In the Lord. In the Lord. I'm going to tell you what you do for Christ will last. What you've done for Christ is never a waste. Don't ever let you look back on life and say, did I waste my life? Did I do too much? No, you can't waste your time serving the Lord. (laughs) Maybe you're not as rich as you could be because you gave more to the Lord. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about time and efforts and investments. How many many side hustles could you have? How many people in the church? you You come to a God-fearing church, and you look around at the people that labor and sacrifice. Sometimes people give five, 10 hours of volunteer coming, serving the church. How many hours a week are they praying, reading their Bible, encouraging one another, teaching Bible studies, and there's no monetary reward on this life. You don't see this, amen, but I promise you, you cannot outgive God, and you may not have built up barns and mansions on this life, amen, but you have put treasures in heaven that do not corrupt, amen. You have put things up in heaven, amen, and I promise you, he says one moment, amen, you're going to realize it was worth it all. It was worth everything I did, everything I said. Come on, mom and dad, don't be worried about your children having the finest of clothes and the name brand of everything. You know, do they know how to pray? Do they know how to worship? Do they know how to call on the name of the Lord? Do they know how to get a hold of God? That's what we've got to put and invest in our children and what you do for Christ. Amen. It's going to last. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Would you stand together with me tonight? Hallelujah, hallelujah. No work for Christ is wasted. And the hope of the resurrection makes it worth it all. Can we lift our hands toward heaven? Come on, can we lift our hands? I thank God for his Holy Ghost. God, I thank you right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I bless your name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I don't want to do less, God. I want to do more. God, keep my eyes on you. Keep my eyes on you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, I thank you. We have a hope beyond this life, God, in spite of all the things that we face. God, our trust is in you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Can we just lift our voice and love him? Come on, somebody cry out, Jesus, I love you, Lord. Lord, you are my hope. Come on, lift your voice. God, I love you, Lord. You are my hope, God. Hallelujah. Help my unbelief, God. Let my faith be in you.